Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your locally owned source for hunting, fishing, and shooting gear in interior Alaska. They sell proven gear that will tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to, and Frontier always stays current with gear for the season. Whether you're baiting bears in the spring, fishing, camping, or dip netting in the summer, you're looking for game bags and moose camp gear in the fall, uh, if you need to stock up on trapping lures or just get everything you need to go ice fishing, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as camping gear and backpacking food. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find a full hardware store naturally, and uh, you'll also find your snow machine, ATV, marine accessories down there. They go out of their way to stock plenty, plenty of quality, useful equipment. And whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on a never-ending home improvement project, or anything in between, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location in North Pole, so make sure you stop in next time you need to gear up. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in Fairbanks, Alaska. The Hedgecock Group has been tied into the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s, and their services tailored to meet the diverse needs of home buyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home or buying land to build a home. They also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home. Fairbanks is a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water holding tanks instead of wells, estimating heating costs, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're ready to help. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. If you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Fairbanks or North Pole area, reach out to Brett Evans and his team of expert realtors at 907 978 3765 or email brett b-r-e-t-t at hedgecockgroup.com That's how you do it. Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Freel, doing a remote session with uh, Mr. Adam Grinda. Finally managed, managed to track you down. Looks like you've been you've been getting into some uh, getting into some stuff this fall, man. How's it going? I'll, per- I'll pretend hey, like we haven't been sorry. talking for five minutes, too. So, yeah, I know you got to get all that stuff out of the way and then hit record. I'm good, man. Sorry, it's been so hard to catch up between hunting and kids and school and work. It's it's always a rodeo, but yeah, we've been having a good fall like you have, and uh, it'll be good to catch up. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, you guys, you and your wife both, man, you guys put some serious some serious critters on the ground this fall. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did We did pretty good. Uh, we were actually just having dinner, tallying it up, and she was telling me that she's killed more than me, but that's kind of been the theme <laughs> these last few years. I'm kind of old news. Yeah, well, that's that's all right, I guess, man. It's just just how it goes. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool that you guys have the opportunities that you do out there. I mean, I'm sure people are always 
it's all kind of a sliding scale. People, people do it here too. And I mean, you know, you guys got some access to some pretty awesome stuff out there. Um, but yeah, man, what a giant moose, giant caribou. Did you guys both kill huge moose this year? Or was that just, uh, Tana's? Oh no. She just rubbed that into me. I went, uh, I have not punched a moose tag, but, um, I'm sure we'll get into that. I just, I'm really particular when it comes to moose and I passed up a lot of really big moose looking for a couple tanks, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, on the atmosphere of like the bush, you get it too. And people, oh, oh, it must be nice syndrome. And I tell people, like they said that when I bought a cub and I'm sure I'm going to buy more airplanes and cubs later in life. And I'm like, dude, I'm just a regular Joe. I come from, I mean, I come from parents that had money and stuff. My, my parents don't help me. They didn't help me. You know, once I left the house and went to college, I financed an airplane for $90,000 because I didn't want to buy a, a lifted Duramax for 90 grand. I wanted an airplane, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, paid off the airplane. I drive junker cars and, you know, it sucks. It's really expensive to live in the bush. But the, the plus side of that, there's not a lot of people out here. I mean, it gets real busy for hunting season, but you're closer to remote areas. Um, whereas if you live in Anchorage, you know, maybe in Fairbanks, you got to, you got to get creative with the uh, jet boats and four wheelers like you do. Cause I yeah. have people ask me all the time, can you get after it without an airplane? And I'm like, uh, yeah, go check out Tyler Friel. You know, um, you just got to be creative at how to beat the other guy and, you know, um, work a little harder and smarter to get it done. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, I find every, I mean, like there's ways, no matter what you have to work with, there's ways to get into good hunting, you know, it just, sometimes it's harder and like, like you can do stuff, you can get into places with boat, like my boat that you can't get into with a cub and vice versa. Oh yeah. And you can take a four wheeler places. You may not be able to take a boat or an airplane. Um, I don't know. People, no matter, and no matter what you're dealing with, a lot of times it's still going to be, it's still going to be a ton of work. And I, you know, it's easy to get sucked in, I think, into the trap of, oh, if I only had an airplane or if I only had an Argo or something like that, you know, those things can make certain aspects easier, but they also come with a whole, a whole batch of headaches too. Yeah. But how many guys, you know, that own a cub that don't kill anything? I know plenty of them, you know, (laughs) that, uh, they, they own an airplane and let's just call it like it is. They just don't kill anything. And so it's, it's the go get it attitude of like, Hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to go hunting and I'm going to go by myself and there's no one else to fly with me and we're going to make it happen. And, you know, um, you can really excel at that, but there's a lot of guys that, that don't. And on the flip side, there's guys like you that just, you know, hit some really skinny water and have some crazy boat stories and get after it on the four wheeler. And then, you know, um, I've talked to dudes who have checked you in the field and they're like, Oh, that guy walks like 20 miles after he parks his four wheeler. I'm like, Oh, I know it's <laughs> after it, you know, and that's how you, that's how you get it done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You just kind of, kind of, kind of do what, it, do what it takes. And it, it takes a while to sometimes learn where, where that line is, but yeah, no, it's, 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 I get a little, I, I would be lying if I didn't say I was a little jealous of some of the, the moose and caribou you guys, you guys have been getting into out there and bears, but, uh, I'm also very happy for you, man. It's, it looks like, looks like you guys have had a hell of a year. And so I'm expecting you to carry some weight here and tell me some stories. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, man, where did fall start? Um, August, I think. Well, I guess I, yeah. Was it August? Yeah. I yeah. should prep us a little bit with like last spring since we chatted, my wife had a, 
brother, her uh, youngest brother, Trevor, came up, and I, I took him to a spot that, I mean, it was just a super remote spot on the peninsula. Um, we had a really heavy snow year, and so it was kind of late. And it was still cold. And they, uh, long story short, he ended up shooting a 10-foot-4 bear. It was like 28 and 3 eighths or something on um, the skull. But he shot it three times with a 338, and that gun's weird. It's it's loaded with 98 grains of H1000. I've never had an issue with it. We've shot it hundreds of times. And a spent primer blew out of the brass and got lodged into the forward part of the action where the lugs are. Oh. And, um, you have two action screws, you know, that hold the gun together. Yep. Well, that action screw didn't go all the way up flush to where that was. So there was like 10 or 15 thousandths of a depression for that primer cap to sit into. Oh. And it basically sat in there like a post, if you can imagine that. Yep. Most like one in a trillion fluke, right? And yeah. the primer sat in there and the bolt only closed halfway. I'm glad they didn't try and shoot it because it would have blown up probably in their face. So they couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. The bear took three hits. And then it started to come down the hill at him. It was above him, way up high, like cheap country, 3,000 yeah. feet, snow fields, and like a couple boulders. That's it. And uh, it was like a big bear. They're almost like a cub. They'll slide on, you've probably seen it down here, they'll slide on their belly. Yeah. Almost like a beaver to get to get going. So it take a couple steps. They got it all on footage. It's crazy. It's pumping blood out of both sides. Um, and then it's coughing blood out the mouth. And I'm like, this thing's dead. And it covers like that 400 yards in no time. Uh, okay, we need to buy some ground. So they threw the bow down and bailed. And um, they actually had a GoPro 360. They're sitting on a trekking pole, like videoing their stuff. They bailed over the hill. The bear came right past their stuff, but the GoPro died because it's always cold. And uh, the bear's bloody tracks walked right past their packs, and they just found cover as fast as they could and got behind a rock. That bear came over the hill and had, like, the I'm going to eat you look in his eyes. And I asked Tana, I was like, is this bear, like, just coming down because it's, like, downhill and he's trying to get away or doesn't know what the sound is? And she's like, no, it was coming to kill us. She, like, she said her her last prayer and she's like, okay, I'm going to leave my husband with six kids and this is it. And my brother-in-law, I mean, I forever will owe him because he saved my wife's life and his. Pulls out my, my 454 and, uh, um... Oh, sorry, I had to backtrack. As they're running down the hill, I had one of those gunfighters holsters. This isn't a rag against them. I still own a gunfighters, but it had gotten loose. Yeah. And it was, like, falling out. You know, it's a friction Kydex holster. Yeah. And the gun fell out as they're running down the hill. He looks down, and he's like, dude, that's our only weapon. And he sees it sticking out of the the snow, just barely, like, three feet behind him in one of his boot prints. Oh. And, like, two feet of snow. Grabs the gun. They bail. Tana's freaking out. The bear comes over the hill, comes at him. First shot, he whiffs it, hits a rock, and he waited till it was like 10 yards and then puts three into the chest, and then that turned him. There were 360-grain buffalo boars. It turned the bear, and it was like four or five yards. Tana's got her phone now, and he, he's broadside, and he puts one more into the back of the lungs, and the thing walks 10 feet over the ridge and then basically slides down a little 50-foot avalanche and dies. Jeez. So that was totally traumatic and i'm teaching freaking little league dude getting the inreach message and you know how delayed yeah. those are right oh yeah an hour later and so i'm like i'm getting like 20 messages and the first one's guns jammed what do i do and so if you ever want to feel like a hopeless person put yourself in my shoes i'm like do i need to be dropping a 12 gauge with slugs out of the cub or it's almost dark what am i gonna do and luckily it all ended before i even really knew about it but it was very stressful and uh 
they skinned it real quick, came off the mountain. You know, it was one of those things like we're still trying to figure out how to not die up here. And it seems yeah. like we, we get close every year, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but you want to, you want to see a bear in the spring. It's, it's daylight all day and you're just going to run up there and kill it. Well, it doesn't always work out like that. And they slept on the mountain. It rained like five inches the next day. They finally made it back. You know how big a 10 foot bear is and how oh, much they huge. weigh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like 140 pounds just for the hide. And, came back and then me and another buddy went down and picked him up and um that really kind of changed Tana's life she wasn't the same person she's she's back to normal now but in the field she's not the same so i wanted to tell that story to kind of preface the rest of the year yeah um because that's kind of a life-changing event she really thought she was you know she was done for Man. so it's pretty wild yeah that's i mean that's like a bu- it's like a bunch of flukes all in one, you know. That's just just nuts to have. I mean, it's not nuts necessarily to have a bear charge you, but from four hundred yards away to like start coming after you then, and have a one in a million like fluke, like a primer sticking in your action screw depression <laughs> inside your. You know, I know that won't let your. That, I'm assuming no. it sounded like you're describing it like it wouldn't let the lugs like rotate into battery fully. Exactly, yeah. dude. And I, I told him like, there's got to be like a bud of an alder leaf or something jammed in there that it's not cycling. I'm like, pull the bolt out. I said, you can pull the action screws off. They had an Allen wrench because they had a bow, right? And I'm like, yeah. you can disassemble the whole gun. It's a, it's a custom built gun, um, and it was built. Um, and there was no fault of the gun, you know, it was built in North Idaho, um, by defensive edge, Sean Carlock did some work to it, but it was just a standard Remington gun that was built up a 338 ultra mag. And, uh, it was just totally a fluke. And I was like, there's gotta be something in there. And as soon as I got there, I hugged my wife and stuff. And I grabbed the gun, saw down in there, kind of wiggled my pinky around. Cause it's a small, small chamber, you know, to yeah. stick your finger in there. And I think I took the light from my phone. I lit it up and I just like moved it just a little bit, a couple thousands. And I flipped the gun over. I think it fell out, went down the barrel into the tundra and that was it. And I cleared the obstruction in like 20 seconds. And I'm like, look guys, that's how easy it was. Oh man. And so, yeah, Tana's like, we just did that. I'm like, well, wasn't that hard. (laughs) And they were freaking out because they didn't have a rifle this whole time walking out. And they just had a traumatic experience. They slept down the mountain in the bottom of a Creek under a, you know, seek tarp. And Yeah. So, wild story, but just kind of another spring bear hunt yeah, down here, no. it seems like. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it seems like you, you guys have had some wild ones. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – it's kind of – it's cool to hear that, you know, a little bit more of the inside info to that story because I remember, like, seeing the – you know, seeing her posts and stuff when that, after that happened. I'm like, what the hell was going on out there? I know. I, I just – it's wild, you know. Anytime I take her and her little brother, and he's really, uh, he's really pretty savvy. Even from being from the lower forty-eight, he's hunted up here a lot. He did a sheep hunt with me. He's done a moose. He did a moose. He killed a moose with a bow. Killed a moose with Tana. Killed a caribou, and then this bear. And then he's been up to the Hall Road a bunch of the times. So he's really well versed. Um, super athletic. And but it seems like anytime I drop them off, it's just like two little rugrats getting in trouble, you know. <laughs> so oh man, I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, that does that does sound wild, man. I uh, I'm glad. I remember someone is saying something about oh yeah, you guys need to have like the the 10 millimeter 454 debate. I'm like, well, it's not really. I mean, much debate. Sometimes 
you know, if you have a 10, you're going to wish you had a 454. And sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, every situation's different. Just you're just blessed to have, you know, what they had, what they had at the time they had it. <laughs> I would have taken a 22, and to be in her shoes, Tana was defenseless. They dumped the bow, and Tana had nothing but a cell phone. Yeah, you know, oh. what are you going to do? Throw throw an iPhone at the bear? And you know, we've talked about this before. Before I was buying a 454. And, uh, you know, if I was in your shoes, I'd probably have a 10 mil, but our bears are just big down here and we don't have a lot of issues. But when you do, it's like, man, I want one or two big bullets at the very end. You know, um, it just a, seems like a whole different bear. You know, yeah. your bears are more aggressive, but they're smaller and these bears are bigger and less aggressive. But when it gets real, it's, uh, you feel pretty small, pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all yeah boils down to whatever, you know, so whatever you're comfortable with and what you're willing to carry all the, you know, if you're willing to, if you can shoot it well and you're willing to carry it all the time, you know, that's yeah, more, more, more power to you, but whatever, whatever, gu- whatever, whatever gun you have is better than the one you don't. So <laughs> I know not to get too sidetracked, but do you remember a while back that dude's face that got ripped open on, he was on a snow machine hunt for a bear. Yes, I do. And yeah. Yeah. So we were sitting in, uh, was that place in Kodiak Henry's the only place to really eat where you like literally run into everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're sitting in Henry's and we had met this dude in the airport or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, we'll go out to dinner. And then he's telling this story. He's like, Oh yeah, I had a really bad encounter, this and that. And he shows me the picture of the dude's face. Like, Oh, that's my dad. I'm like, dude, that's you. And he's like, yeah. And I felt like I was talking to a celebrity and, uh, yeah, his name's Brett, and uh, we we became friends. And he he said that I was like, "What's your debate?" He's like, "Literally, any weapon on you is better than nothing." Yeah, you know, even a twenty-two or a nine mil. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy to hear his story and to be in that experience. You know that he had, and his dad's whole face got ripped off because a, a bear came out of the den and ragdolled his dad and threw him down the mountain. Yeah, nuts, man. Pretty, yeah, pretty unforgiving, but yeah, I would. Yeah, bears are. Yeah, I don't. I don't wish. I, I don't wish. I was. I had that same experience this spring. My 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 spring was pretty mellow. I know Frank. Frank, my buddy Frank, and I were just discussing last night. Like he's a man. He's a. I was just thinking the other day. You know, one thing because he was out camping. He's like, he's like, don't have to worry about freaking bears. He's like, yeah. All, this entire year's been dealing with freaking bears having to shoot you know he had to shoot that one black bear right in the face at like 10 feet coming at coming after him this spring and you know we we had bear issues all black bear issues all fall you know which weren't it wasn't like a big brown bear coming after us but it was annoying but yeah, yeah they're just pesty just just kind of like a pest you know i had to shoot one out of a out of the tent to fly one time. Actually, the vent, I stuck the rifle out the vent of the Kuyu tent, and it was right next to my plane. I just made sure it was clear of the plane. I shot a blackbird like two yards after yeah. to chewed a hole in the tent, you know? Oh, geez, so. yeah. No, we were we were right there. We thought we were going to have to do it at the, end of our, at the end of our sheep hunt waiting to get picked up, man. It was, uh, you know, like s- several bears a day coming through. And none of them actually messed with the tent and we were getting hungry enough by the third day without food that we were like, we were going to going to grease the next one that, that stuck its head up, up near the tent. And it ended up being a sow and like a, like a year and a half old cub. And which I had no, I had no, no ethical qualms about shoot, about shooting them, but I didn't want, I just didn't want to have to deal with two of them. And 
you couldn't see anything, so you you know you knew I knew we'd have to kill both of them, and it was just gonna be shitty. So <laughs> so I passed. We that just scared them off. Had me on the edge of my seat, dude. I was I was flying Anchorage, I think, uh, either in a work cub or my cub. And I was, you remember, I was texting you from my inreach. Oh yeah, you how hilarious <laughs> yeah. this was the whole time. And I'm like, dude, I'm literally on my edge of my seat, suspenseful, because I'm like, is Frank really gonna go shoot a duck and like take his sleeping pad out there and make a raft? Like oh, this oh. is getting real. Oh, he absolutely was gonna too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it yeah. got it got a little weird, man. Like you just don't. I'd never gone three. I can't remember ever going three days without eating. You know, it was. It was no way, dude. It was weird. Um, so, and you're skinny now. You can't, you can't do that. You don't have the six pack reserve. No, I don't, I don't have near as much as, or I didn't have near as much, um, near as much as I did. I gotta, I gotta kind of cut back too. I've been traveling, hunting down in the States for the last week and a half and eating, eating pretty well. So I need to, need to keep it, keep it at a good maintenance level now. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, it was, it was, uh... It was something else, but uh, yeah, I was yeah yeah. I remember. I don't know. Did you ever? I don't know if you even sent me a picture of the sheep you killed. I'm assuming you did, but I'm trying to remember. Uh, I might have. Um, yeah. So on to the sheep hunt. I uh, I wasn't even planning to go this year. I'm kind of the anomaly, you know. You you say um, I listen to your podcast even think before I even moved up here. When I did, I was waiting to become a resident. Uh, longest year of my life and you're like you're gonna love sheep hunt it's the only thing you're gonna do you're never gonna want to go again and i have this weird feeling like i don't know what to describe it as but it's like i'm a young dude i'm 31 i got a cub i feel like i should be a sheep hunter and it's interesting right yeah and i like it um i have hesitancies because i'm I'm afraid of heights i don't like uh being up like on a knife ridge um, shale doesn't really bother me, but if I'm like walking between ribbon cliffs, like goat hunt, like I just was on Kodiak, yeah. it's like, Oh dude, don't look, don't look down. Cause you're going to be a vegetable. You get to the bottom of that mountain and you're going to be all banged up, you know? Yeah. Um, and I have all that stuff go through my head. And, um, so maybe that's some of my hesitancies. And so I was flying around where I usually sheep hunt and stuff. And, uh, I went more into the central Alaska range and I just wasn't seeing anything. And I usually don't see that much as it is, but I was seeing like, the hills that always have lambs and ewes had nothing, not one sheep. And I'm like, this is crazy, you know? And then I saw like in the gnarliest of country where you don't even look because you can't even hunt one a sheep if it's there. And I was like, Oh, well, there's a, there's a ram way up on top. And I'm like, this has to be a cranker. It's gotta be a legal ram. It was like 7,000 feet. Couldn't even kill it if you had a helicopter. And, uh, it was like a three-year-old and I'm just like, this is crazy. Man. So our sheep, our sheep seem to be in pretty bad shape all over the state from folks I've talked to and everything. Um, and I had some buddies going, so I just, uh, I just, and they're good friends. I just kind of invited myself and they're like, Oh, we switched plans. We're not going, going there anymore and stuff. And I'm just like, Oh dude. So, um, I wasn't really sure what to do, but I decided to load up my plane and just kind of make an adventure out of it. And, uh, I went sheep hunting solo and, um, we had talked about some spots, different things here and there. And, um, it, it's logistical with a cub, you know, cause you got to bring, uh, a lot of gas. There's not many places that have gas throughout the state yep. and, uh, weather tough. I was, I had pretty good weather the whole time, but anyways, um, I just kind of flew around and I was a few days early before the season, just kind of looking for uh totally new country. Never, never been here before. And I'm just looking for, uh, 
um, places to go and access points and hopefully some sheep around. I don't need to find the ram. I mean, I'm, I, I can't fly past the sheep and tell if it's legal and I can't hardly count rings when I'm holding the thing in my hand. So I yeah. need to, I need like a, I need like a totally easy ram to see, but I just want to make sure, okay, there's rams up here. Like that's a basin that has a band of rams that aren't lambs and ewes and there looked like there was a lead ram or whatever up there. And I'm not trying to cut their heads off and stuff. And, um, I just really wasn't seeing much, dude. I was super pumped. I had all these places. I've been doing a lot of, uh, looking at maps online and like my two main drainages I flew were like a, a nursery and then ghost town. And I'm like, Oh dude, this is horrible. Like yeah. there's nothing here. You know, I landed on a strip and I was putting some, I have those green bags where you put gas in them and then yep. they, fold up flat in the back of the cub and uh, i had like 10 of those dudes i had, a, I had like 105 gallons in the airplane in the wings i was a flying bomb right oh, man. <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah i'm just i'm going for broke right i got tons of gas and i'm just gonna go adventure and explore i got a case of oil i got my tools a full camp um and it was an adventure you know people are like oh you're going sheep hunting all by yourself i'm like yeah and they're like you're not gonna take another buddy i'm like no like you ever been over there i'm like nope i'm just gonna figure it out yeah and uh as you know, people will cut you if you even ask to ask him for like where to sheep hunt. And you know, I tread lightly with that. Just just ask for like general logistics of like, hey, is this country windy or what about this? I want to tell people like, hey, I've done my research. I'm thinking about going here. Yep. Is it horrible? Or am I going to get run out by guides or are there horses that go in there? So I was trying to trying to, to figure out all that stuff. And uh, I landed one place, a strip I had found on maps and stuff, and. Uh, the guide was there, you know, three, four days earlier, I was putting gas and he came over and chatted and he was cool, dude. And, um, I just told him, Hey, I'm not staying here. I'm just, I said, for one, there's no sheep here, but I'm not a threat. I'm just putting fuel in. And he's like, I've literally seen three Rams in like the last four days. And I've hiked the whole drainage all the way up to where it makes a curve. And one of them might've been like a three quarter. And I'm like, wow, this sucks. And so you don't see hardly anything flying. But when you get on the ground and you have glass, you can actually pick out sheep. And so I was pretty discouraged. I flew around some more, and then I was like, well, whatever. I guess I'm just going to go back and get more gas because I was running low. And I, I saw a place that had some sheep up in the head end of this drainage. And uh, I looked, dude, and I looked for – I probably circled the gravel bars on this creek for like – 25 times, you know, trying to find something that didn't feel like I was going to rip the gear legs off and crash. Yep. And there were some spots that were like 250 feet, which usually I could do 250 if I'm really light, if there's a touch of wind. Um, and I'm used to wind and there's no wind like up in central Alaska and stuff and uh, comparative to here. And it was just really, it was really tough because, you know, it's four or 5,000 feet when you're sheep hunting and there's uh, you got to come in a lot faster. It just sucks. And so I found, finally found a spot, but it was like too close to these sheep. And I'm just like, whatever, I'm going to have to go here. And, uh, it was really weird because they were like in the bottom of the drainage. And so the next day I just, uh, there was a couple of rams around and I found one I almost went after, but he just wasn't quite into a good spot and he bedded right on a spot. He could see me. So I'm like, whatever, I'll just go up this drainage. And I started walking up the drainage and to be honest, dude, it was, it was a pretty stupid sheep hunt, like stupid easy. Yeah. And I had been killing yeah. myself the last two years on Tana's and the year before I got cliffed out, had to have a rope around me. It was just nasty. And, uh, I'm walking up this Creek, just going super slow and you want to be above sheep. And I know I'm in a horrible spot. The wind's kind of swirly and I don't know where they're going to be. 
and I come around the corner and at like 5,500 feet, there's like a 54 inch bull moose in the bottom of this little Creek with like hardly any willows, like no cover at all. Jeez. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like what, what's a freaking moose doing in sheep country, dude. Yeah. And, uh, finally, finally he like goes to bed and he beds in a spot. I could still see his rack. And I just put my hood on and I just put the rifle in my hand. So it wasn't like sticking way above my pack. And I literally just walked past him at 32 yards bedded, hoping he wouldn't blow out and spook the sheep. And it worked out, came around the corner. I saw a ram. I, I have an angled spotter. So I was able to kind of do the thing where you're down low and put the spotter above you. And, uh, I saw that it was a good one and he was like well over full and I counted him, uh, you know, I counted him seven rings on one side, but then he had like five to six inches left and I couldn't find another ring, but I'm like, dude, I know there's a ring somewhere in the base. Cause there's no way a sheep can grow and have five inches of horn left and not have another ring. That's just yeah. physically impossible. And then one side was broomed and he was like two or three inches over full curl I get up there, they start to bust me, and then I freeze, and I think, okay, I literally flash back to Frank in one of your podcasts, and he's like, I'm literally sitting here for 30 freaking minutes, and I can't move, yep. and I'm, I'm ready to, I'm prepared to be here for another 30, and I'm just like, oh, dude, I don't think I can make it, dude. I'm a lot bigger than Frank. That's <laughs> what's going through my head, and I'm just like, oh, man, and then literally 30 seconds goes by. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to drop down on the gun and roll this thing. And they go back to feed. And I'm like, whatever. So I set the phone scope up, get footage, turns broadside, 338 on a sheep. He's pretty overkill. And I put one right in the heart and sack him. And it was a four-mile pack out. I think I, I took the cape and I gave it to my buddy for some taxidermy work and uh, took all the meat, you know. And uh, it was like four miles and like 1,000 feet vertical. It wasn't bad. I just walked down the creek nice and easy. Nice. And uh, – what I do like about sheep hunting, I will say this, I mean, I'm kind of rambling. When you get a sheep down, it's not like a trauma shock when you shoot a moose. Like, oh, what did I do? Yeah. Especially when you're by yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I, I'm going to I'm gonna get a burger tonight. I'm, I might be sleeping in a real bed. This is cool. So, yeah, I did that, got out, and uh, flew back and got a burger. Saw a buddy. It was great. Yeah, sounds great. It was uh... – for us, I'm just hoping that all our bad luck for several years was packed into this year. Because yeah, we got our we got our ass kicked, as you know. <laughs> you didn't go smoke a bowl on the side of the mountains with uh, Cheech and Chong up there. No, no, didn't even think about it. Yeah, it was funny because when that when the dude was when they were like right there by us, the guy was like pulling out his little. I didn't catch it, but after they left, Frank's like, dude, he was totally like pulling out his like drug kit. Like we were going to smoke with him or something, you know, and I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at the other guys like chapped lips, like pale ghost about to die, die a thirst. And uh, I missed that. But yeah, sure. Shit. He went over there like 250 yards and sat and that was as far as he was going to go. But yeah, that was you, you just couldn't make couldn't make that up and. It could it still could have been worse, but it was just like, what the fuck, man? It sounded pretty bad. I mean, I was flying around Lake I was flying around Lake Eliamna, right past Sigiage. Yeah. And I just started busting up crying in the plane because you're like, I literally just flipped that freaking dude, flipped off that guy. Frank's like, is he really putting a scope on us? Yeah. And you're like, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I flipped him off at that point. <laughs> I start cracking up, almost crying, I'm laughing so hard. And then yeah, going through Lake Clark Pass and you're like, he starts smoking a bull right on the side of the mountain and I'm like, I can't even believe this is going on. 
Oh no, we couldn't we couldn't believe it and they were it was like a couple hundred yards from us, but huh. Yeah, no, that was I like I said, hopefully that was hopefully that was all our bad luck. Aside from that trip, man, the the rest of the fall's been great. Um it, it you know, we had a we had a great time moose hunting and then, you know, I that short short caribou hunt with my bow turned out to be pretty good, which is funny. I ended up catching a bunch of shit about that too, because I you know I wrote we did a did a little video for Outdoor Life and and uh, which turned out pretty cool, I thought, and in a story and and someone comments on there, well, why would you promote that? And I'm like, oh, you mean like the most publicized hunting area in the entire state of Alaska? <laughs> You know, it wasn't like I was telling you, well, A, because it's if you, you, you know, you share a picture of it, everyone knows exactly where you're at. And B, you know, like I said, it's, it's, there's about a million, about a million YouTube videos and articles on hunting the hall road, like specifically like giving information about it, which I, you know, it was just, it was just a little silly. And then I, and then I got accused of promoting poachers. Which was kind of stupid. Well, at least you're not a at least you're not a dumbass using a rifle to hunt the bow zone and putting on YouTube. Okay, <laughs> so at oh, least man. you're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely not doing that. But uh, yeah, can't you can't keep everybody happy? I guess. <laughs> no, that's crazy. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm cognizant. I think anyone who hunts is cognizant of what pictures they share and different things like that but uh yeah the hall road caribou that's i mean there's not many caribou left in the state you know like down here in peninsula that's only a resident hunt and even then we had a subsistence hunt that allowed us to hunt more and that even got shut down because the mulchatna herd is just tanking so there's there's not hardly any caribou in the state and the, the ones they are like up there off the hall road you know it's not a secret well i mean it's you know, like, and that's weird. Like the the Mulchatna herd hasn't been doing good, but there's a lot of other herds that are doing totally fine. Like, I mean, the Ford, you know, the, if you the forty mile herd's been bursting at oh, the yeah. seams. Like they wanted to kill. I don't think they even got them all killed last year. They wanted to kill ten thousand last fall out of that herd. And I mean, the porcupine herd's doing good. The Central Arctic herd's right about where they want it. The Western Arctic herd's doing good. Um, you know, and there's a whole like plethora of caribou issues, but uh, yeah. Now, did they like? Do you have any insight into like what they figure happened with the Mulchatna herd? Because it wasn't. I mean, I don't know how many years ago it was, but that herd was pretty pretty booming, and then it just totally crashed, didn't it? Yeah, I I kind of think a caribou is like a really weak species. They they're in big herds, but. I think it was uh, kind of over grazing. I mean, I said that the peak, there was like over 200,000. So, I mean, it was just like rats on the tundra and they eat lichen and they're kind of like elk. They can eat themselves out of a place, but then you think they could just move. I don't know if it was partially that, if they also got some hoof rot, if there was some disease, maybe the lungs that passed around and then combine that. I mean, when the caribou numbers are high, the wolf numbers are going to be high. And so when they are, when they start to tank, I think the wolves keep capitalizing on them. And um, the problem is now, I mean, that's a two-bear area over there in 17, and um, there's not that many bears being killed, and there's a lot of wolves over there. And I think the predation on it is, like, from birth to the first six months of the life, they've done – I've talked to Fish and Game a lot and, like, trying to figure out 
what we're going to do for a caribou hunt and the, the fatality for a calf is like 90% in yeah. the first six months. So if you're a caribou calf due to mostly wolves and a lot of bears, coyotes, wolver- I mean, coyotes, wolverine, everything, uh, you don't have a good chance. No. Not a good luck. No, that's, yeah, I would hate to, yeah, people always say, oh, re- reincarnation's real, I don't want to come back as a caribou, but, because <laughs> you're just like. Definitely not. Fleeing for your life, your entire life, but uh, no, like, at least some of the research I've done um, involving, you know, with that whole Northwest Alaska, that Western Arctic herd, Unit 23, 26A, I mean, that they're still trying to get closed for outsiders, Um it's definitely like oh, yeah. it's mature cows that are like the driver for caribou populations and caribou populations are, you know, it's just kind of a normal thing for them to fluctuate pretty dramatically. Um, and, yeah. and most, most herds aren't, aren't accessible enough to have hunting be, be a management tool. You know, they blow up too much. Then eventually, you know, yep. that big bumper crop of old cows is going to start dying and they'll start tanking a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, so. I guess that's where I misspoke. I mean, like, there's caribou in the state, like you said. I guess for me, like, local caribou herds, I'm just not going to travel. Based on what you've told me about 40 Mile and other people and going all the way to the Brooks to shoot a caribou, that doesn't make yeah <laughs> make sense to me, oh, no. you know. So I'm not really going to travel that far as much as it's going to cost thousands of dollars, you know. So I'm, I'm just waiting for ours to kind of come back. But we have we have a couple hunting opportunities. It's just, it's not like it was 20 years ago when you yeah. could, you could same day airborne caribou, you could same day airborne, a resident could same day airborne caribou, fly around, land, walk a hundred yards, shoot two, throw them in the plane and fly home for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. No kidding. But your wife did shoot a monster caribou this year. Dude. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You, you could call it a fluke, right? The first, so she shot four caribou. The first one was four twenty nine, and like books four hundred, right? Yeah. And everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, you're never going to shoot another caribou." I think the next one was like four hundred one, and she's like, "Oh, I'm still doing crocodile all the time." She never, she doesn't know what normal caribou is. Like me and you, you know, we'll shoot. I'll shoot the first caribou walks by. I don't care, you yeah. know. Um, I thought about going tomorrow, but it's like negative twenty here and blowing, so it's pretty cold. Um, and I don't have anyone to go with. <laughs> so if my little junker four wheeler breaks down, I'm not gonna not gonna be in good shape. Yeah. But uh and okay, so then like a couple of years ago she shoots one that's like four fifty four. It's like top fifty in the world or something, just crazy. And uh my buddy was with her and he shot one that was like four forty eight or something, just just fluke, right? Two giants giants next to each other. Hers had like sixty inch main beams and I was like, Well, that's the biggest caribou you're ever gonna shoot. And then she shot another one, it was like 405 or something. And then this year, um, I don't know, we didn't have a whole lot of focus on it with sheep and different things. And we're just, we're just busy in summer. And uh, my buddy actually gave me a lead on this. He was going caribou hunting. He's like, oh, I saw a decent one over here. And I haven't been seeing much. Because early season caribou, as you know, they're pretty dark. Yeah. And they blend in a lot. So the, and the bulls are solitary. And so you're looking for a needle in a haystack, like out in the tundra. And by that time, the caribou are still kind of in like the grassland swamp where it's six inches of water and just grass for miles. And so you can't hunt them. And so we're trying to kind of wait until later until they start to get kind of pre-rut. And my buddy tells me about this one. And uh, I think we were beachcombing or something. And 
um, I was like, Hey, let's just go check out this area. My buddy told me up in these hills, he'd seen a caribou and, uh, we saw this bull. I'm like, Oh, that looks like a good one. And I knew it was like over 400, but it was full velvet and a pretty cool looking thing. And Tana was like, well, I want to go hunt that. And I said, okay, I can watch the kids. We got six kids. So that's big yep. stuff. Um, and I drop her off and there was like no sign of the caribou. It had left and everything. And I got her a couple miles away or something like that, but still, it's in a swampland, like it's a chest waiter hunt. And I was able to drop her off on a spot that was like five feet above the grass and it's flat as a pancake and you're hunting one animal and they are super migratory, even just as a single bull. And she brought the bow long story short, spotted that bull, got to 37 yards. It probably would have been number, probably have been world record with a bow and possibly could have went number two. Um, and, uh, yeah, dude, she, it totally, like, the wind was coming to the crosswind, but they face, like, a, like a sheep will, and they face downwind, they're smart, when they bed, and then the wind just swirled a little bit, and hit a gust, and the gust blew the bull out, ran to, like, 90 yards, and uh, I think it's something I got off one of your podcasts, I used to be a frequent listener, because I'd fly hundreds of hours a year with kids, I haven't been such a great follower, sorry, but... Uh, <laughs> You you tell you said something in the fact of like if you have if there's a rifle within a mile of me I'm gonna pick it up and I'm the same way I'm a world's worst bow hunter yeah. because there can't I can't even bring a gun in the airplane I have to leave the gun at home and fly hundreds of miles away with the bow um, and Tana leaves the rifle because I told her I'm like if you want to shoot a caribou with a bow leave the gun at camp just have it for bear protection so she pretty much does right yeah and has a pistol has a pistol on her chest. And super terrified because she just had a bear encounter and I'm dropping my wife off on the peninsula, middle of nowhere. And, uh, she gets over there and then the caribou blows out, but it runs back towards her gun. So you can imagine a big bull caribou just kind of like doing the 20 yard run and then turn around and look back like a mule deer. She's doing this cat and mouse game with this bull trying to get to the gun and the gun's a half mile behind her. So she finally gets the gun, the thing's running. She like offhands at a 350, rolls the bull calls me um and i go down there and pick it up i was able to land fairly close on another little ridge but it's blowing 20 so i only need 100 feet if that to land a cub and uh go over there she's got it mostly cut up and uh it's big it's way bigger than i thought i was like well it's probably like a 420 bull good job she was super pumped um had to kind of shuttle it out you know so like take the meat out in one trip and then take the meat and the antlers to one trip uh, or take her and the antlers on another round and then go get her camp. Um, cause you're coming out of tiny little spots, like two, 200 foot spots, you know, and you gotta be light even if it's windy. And so get all that out and we get home and I'm not the best, uh, best score. Trevor Embry is. And so I, I was texting some pictures and stuff, but long story, that's long story short. That's like a four sixty. If we scored it conservatively, it was four sixty. If we went the other way because the top time split. And so it says, take the, take the measurement between two top times to the bottom of the top palm. Well, if it has a big long, like G2 that goes up and forks, do you measure from that? I don't think you do, but if we would have went that way, it'd been like 476, 477, just like retarded, like huge. <laughs> yeah. So everyone is pissed. I mean, guys were coming off the hall road. Cody Rich text. He's like, dude, I thought I was a stud. I shot a nice bull. Then I see your wife's care, but I'm like, dude, yeah, I'm a, I'm a has been, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a just a nasty one, man. I mean, I well, it was funny because you know I got I got a decent bull that in the uh, 
you know that bow hunt I with my recurve, and that was that was a fun and honestly, like I, I think it because I scored it at like gross three twenty. 326 and I think it's 325 makes Pope and Young and it's not going to make it but honestly I was like I was just going to shoot the first bull I got a chance to shoot <laughs> that's kind of how I am dude I mean I'm not a um, I'm not super particular when it comes to caribou it's probably my favorite food to eat um, is like an early season young caribou and I've shot some I shot like a 400 once but I shoot a little a lot of little ones too because yeah. they're tasty and so yeah. I'm like oh that'll be a good one you know? So yeah, I know the feeling, but anything with a recurve dude, I mean, that's like a whole nother level, even on the top of a bow and I don't kill anything with a bow. So hats off to you, man. No, it just took a little bit of persistence and a lot of caribou moving through. So <laughs> it was, it was fun. Yeah, was that, it like snow camo? Were you wearing whites? Um, I just had like a white, I had this super lightweight white hoodie that I had bought for half of a sheep costume, basically, um, when I tried and failed to do that. And, uh, so I had that. And so I just had like, you know, a, a few layers underneath and put that white on and just happened to slip into the right spot and the right gap in this herd that that was crossing a gully and it just worked. You know, I wasn't expecting the whole time. I was like, I can't believe this is working. I can't believe this is working. And I'm like, I'm going to draw my bow yep. up. He's going to blow out, but he didn't. So like, well, I guess I'll shoot him. <laughs> yeah it's good to be lucky man i've been pretty lucky and especially this year and you know a lot of times when it seems like it's not going to work out you just you keep grinding and eventually at the end you're like well it all worked out you just had to keep grinding yeah you keep trying and if you get enough chances eventually eventually something's going to roll your way you know and uh yeah Yeah. so was it it's pretty nuts yeah was it um after yeah caribou there was it was you guys shot that big moose before, um, or Tana shot it before, before you guys, you went brown bear hunting, right? Yeah. Well, I, I did three moose this year. I'm not very smart because most people pack out like <laughs> one in their life. And I did three. Um, but I had a buddy come down from Anchorage. Uh, one of my best friends came down we had plans to go last year and he had like a once in a lifetime opportunity for an elk tag in Utah and went and shot him, went and shot a Utah a huge monster bull elk. Oh, with that, ju- that, that Justin got, Justin Schaefer. Yeah, Schaefer, yeah. and uh, yeah, I shot I shot like a seventy three inch bull. I hit him on the entrance. I'm like, hey, you're pretty stupid for going down there. I just shot a freaking tank, and that was a big bull, like two twenty eight, two twenty nine, gross. Um, but none of my moose are really pretty. You know, they're just kind of big and old and wavy, and they score good, like two twenty eight, two twenty nine. But I was looking for a tank, and I had done a lot of preseason scouting. Um, I had sheds off like a monster, monster moose that I still can't sleep over and never, never seen him. He's probably dead. And then I saw another huge moose and then a different area. I found a moose that Schaefer ended up killing and him and I just had horrible weather and it was like day seven and we're just wet boots. We're cold. It's windy. It's like 15 degrees. We're waking up in September, like complete opposite of a lot of years on moose. Yeah. And, uh, we had finally got into position. Uh, he shot a bear, got kind of Western, went in after it, kind of false charged him or came at him and he killed it like six yards or three thirty-eight. And then we got onto a moose and he was literally like four seconds from shooting a 62 inch moose. And it's weird. Cause they say, if you cow call, the moose will like come there days later. And this is the, the exact spot where this bull was going 
was where we had cow called the last night, you know? Yeah. And, uh, right when he was going, we're kind of losing between the trees and the brush and the dips. And I say, hold on, there's no way that bull can be over there. And I say, that looks like a bigger bull. I can just see the backside of the top of one of his paddles. And he came out and I cow called and he looked at me and I almost, I'm pretty sure I screamed like a little girl, you know, <laughs> just like a little bitch scream, just like a little bitch scream. I was like, Oh dude, dude, it's the mega giant. Shoot him, shoot him in his face right now. And I knew this bull because I, I had video of him in velvet and uh, I had, I had flown around. I saw him. This is crazy. I saw him and I landed and then I was like filming him just cause I'm a freak about moose. I just think the most impressive animal and I cow called to him on the phone scope and he grunts and he starts coming in. I was like, Oh dude, I got scared. I ran back to my airplane and took off cause I didn't want him to like yeah. come in, you know? And so this is that bull. I got some history with him, and it ended up, he made a hell of a shot, sacked him and it was a 243 inch moose, 75 inches and change. Just like a total, looked like one of those ones from Russia, from Kanchaka, you know, just crazy. Yeah. Looking. That's, and, uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I know. And everyone's like, why would you let Schaefer do that? He already kills enough. And I'm like, dude, I have not had, he's probably one of the funnest times of my life. That dude, he knows every quote from every good movie. Like I love my wife, but she hasn't seen wedding crashers or stepbrothers, like the best movie. Oh, man. She hasn't seen the big, she hasn't seen the big Lebowski. So how do you make movie references? You know, when you say, come on, Donnie, and your wife looks at you like, what, you know, I'm not Donnie. Dude, there's, and, uh, there, there's something to be said for like, a, a extensive repertoire of movie quotes on on a hunting trip. <laughs> I know, dude. And, like, I'm pretty good at rolling with the punches and talking shit, but Schaefer's, like, next level, dude. Like, you know. Oh, and uh, just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take a dump. Do you want to come? Just, like, just hilarious the whole time. But when it gets real, dude, it's like that dude can grind it out. If we're sleeping in puffy lairs and, you know, what you call moon suits up on the mountain under a tarp, yeah. it gets real. I bought, I have one of those Seek DST tarps, and I'm not sponsored anything by them, but I just got one of those because, like, when it's raining, you know, it's either get soaked in rain gear or put that thing up with your trekking poles. You always have trekking poles in your sheep hunt. So I just started packing them around, and I pitched that little shelter, and he's, like, putting his hood on, batting down the hatches, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm putting on my glass tarp. He's like, you brought it? I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, dude. So the morale was highs and lows. The weather sucked. It was like sheep hunting. We were fogged until like 4 p.m. a few days. And, uh, yeah, dude, um, shot a cranker moose and then came out. He went home. And then, you know, Tana's like, well, I want to go moose hunting. And I had plans to go by myself because I'm stupid. And I was going to yeah. go shoot another moose solo, right? Yeah. And she's like, well, I want to go. And she's dead set on the bow. And I'm like, dude, don't even waste your time with a freaking bow, okay? It's not late September, this and that. And she's like, well, how about this? I'll bow hunt. And if one's coming in, that's great. But if you see a tank you want to shoot, you can. And I'm looking for like a 240 to 250-inch moose. So like equivalent to like a 44-inch doll sheep. Just stupid huge. Yeah. Um, and people like, well, you're never going to shoot one. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm never going to shoot one, but if I keep shooting 65 inch boost, I'll definitely never shoot a giant. So I'm willing to wait. And I didn't punch a tag this year because I, I waited and I passed a lot of big book bulls. Um, but her and I are seeing a lot of moose. We go to a different spot. It's crazy. Mid September, they're kind of like with cows, but not super like ruddy. And, yeah. uh, we just haven't been turning anything up. It's wicked cold, dude. It's like 20 degrees blowing 20, which, you know, is just cuts through you. And, uh, starting to snow a little bit in September 
And then finally we come over the ridge and I see a bull and I'm like, dude, I said, she's like duck back down. He's like walking towards us at 500 yards. And, uh, he's like, how big am I? Oh, 65 ish, you know? And I'm pretty good. I judged Justin's voice. I said 73, no, I said 74, 75. I was right on the money. Um, I've looked at a lot of moose and I got pretty good. And so I tell Tan, it's like 65. She looks at me like wide. I just like, do you want to shoot him, honey? And I'm just looked at her and I scoffed. I was like, please, <laughs> like, no, I'm bitch, please. I'm not going to do this. And she's like, whatever. I'll go with the bow and it's blowing 20. And I'm thinking kind of like you used to call a lot of coyotes when you're calling, they're going to circle downwind. And yep. so we get close tried to intercept him he kind of hangs up at like 250 yards i'm like okay well you go down there and i'm gonna stand back and call and i'm just in a little bit of willow brush and she kind of goes down in this creek and then he's held up at like still 250 yards and so she's going to move up further to try and close the gap and kind of like when you're elk hunting you put a collar behind you to draw the animal through the shooter yep and i set her i set her downwind and so she looks back at me and throws her hands up like what the hell am i supposed to do and i give her the hand signals to move forward she does and like right about that time the moose kind of commits i'm like oh dude this is not good and so then he starts coming and she goes through a brushy draw of alders but trying to be quick right with just a just a, uh just a bow in her hand yep. and break some brush and that's all it took for that moose to like say okay that cow is over there and there's bull grunts over there and i'm trying to make it sound like a love scene and now the bull's coming at me because i just heard a bunch of brush breaking and i'll send i think i sent you a text dude but that thing literally is running full speed down the mountain i've never seen anything like it Jeez. like coming into my wife and it looks like a clydesdale and you're looking at your cute little wife like that five foot five girl over there is going to get trampled or bred by this moose. Either one of those is <laughs> yeah. not going to be good. Not you know? going to be a good situation. And, uh, yeah, and so at this point, I'm, I'm trying to, like, just, I don't want, the moose is committed, so I don't want to make any more noise because they're super, super good at pinpointing sounds, but it's like, man, I need to get the attention off my wife because now it's looking, she went to a little alder bush that looks big. It's like 10 feet wide, 10 feet tall, but one you can see through. And he's staring through it at like 14 yards, got her pinned. And she's she drew a bow. Oh, I lost you. Hey, dude. Hey, sorry, I don't pay my bills or something like that. <laughs> no, my my phone will just shut down after an hour. It's something weird. So are we still rolling? Or yeah, we're still rolling. So yeah, the the last words I heard was she drew her bow. Yeah, so she drew her bow behind this bush. The moose has her peg, and at this point, I'm like, okay, it's getting real. I'm filming it. She's filming it, and. 
I'm trying to draw the attention off the moose. So I give him like a really slutty cow call, just like, you know, yeah. like it's early too. It's like mid September. There's no reason the cows are going to be talking like that, but I'm desperate at this point. And you can blow a moose out by sounding like a super slut cow like that. And I've done that. So I don't want to do that. But at this point I'm like, she's about to let her rip. And she basically side full draw with the bow side steps out behind this bush. The moose is looking at me. She's got a GoPro on a head strap and he kind of like flinches, but he flinches and turns mostly broadside and she tucks it right behind the shoulder. You don't want to hit the shoulder blade on any animal on a moose. It's just going to bounce off and sticks it. And I'm like, dude, game on. And it's a big ball, 65. And I'm like, it's at least 215. And uh, it runs away. And so then I, then I just go for broke like you're elk hunting. And I just give it another cow call and he goes 50 yards, stops perfectly broadside. I'm like, okay, give him another one, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I could see the Luminoc in the side of the moose and it's like halfway up the body, six to eight inches behind the shoulder. I'm like, why isn't this thing tipping over? And, uh, it goes 50 yards and I, it kind of does face on the left. It takes two steps and turns and faces to the right. Well, if people don't know when a moose takes two steps, that's 10 yards. And so 50 to 60, my wife's pulling like 62 pounds. Her arrow drops 18 inches. And so she was perfect left and right. And it just sailed right under the brisket of a moose. Yeah. Um, cause she was holding right in the middle. And so she missed that shot. And then the moose is running away and she's like trying to get closer. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they would just turn into a cluster. So I wave her back. And the moose is hit, and I watch it go up and over the ridge, and that's the last part I saw. And then she's like, gets back, and she's like, I, she just almost gets into tears when she doesn't just kill something right away because no one wants to hurt an animal. Yeah, yeah. And everyone who thinks, you know, hunters are just cold hearted bastards, we care more about animals than anyone. We don't want a moose of like that majestic creature to, to be wounded. We want to kill it as quick, quick as we can, you know? Yep. And so. She's almost in tears. And I say, okay, you stay here. I'm going to wrap around this ridge and spot her and just have a better angle. I go over there and I get eyes on the moose and I can see it. And I'm trying to yell at her. I'm almost about to shoot my pistol. And finally I yell, but it's also blowing 20 and she's over a mile away. And I get her attention. She comes over there. I show her the moose. I show her the arrow. It's bedded. I'm like, we just need to sneak in there with the rifle and just finish it off. And then it stands up and walks out of sight. And I'm like, oh dude, this is horrible. You know, and it, it was pretty far back because it was angled as a problem. Oh. Like the entrance was perfect, but the moose was quartered to her, which was the problem. So long story short, dude, I was like, okay, it's almost dark. We're texting people. I'm texting Schaefer. I'm like, dude, fatal archery hit. What do you think if it got one log? It might have got the liver and into the podge. It might just be straight guts. I can't tell. And he's like, it's probably going to die. And so I told Ken, I said, okay, well, let's, let's end today. Um, with hunting and just go back and just get to camp and just call it a day. And we can't see the moose anymore. We don't want to bump them. Give them like the, what's the theory on cuts like six hours. Is that right? With, if you think you're in the guts or overnight. Yeah. Six or six to 12 hours. I mean, I think it can, it can depend, you know, on moose. Yeah. Moose are just different. Cause sometimes even, I mean, I've shot one, the first bull I ever killed with a bow. I shot him four times and three of them were like both lungs and it still took that bull wow. like 10 minutes to to tip over like to tip over i mean even you know another one i shot like just zipped it through both lungs he ran you know ran 50 yards it's totally different 
situation, different story, but ran 50 yards wow. and still took like two or three minutes before he just laid down and died. Like they, they got, it's a big animal. They got to bleed a lot too. So if you have a less than, less than optimal hit, you know, it's just, it takes, it can take a lot longer, I think. Yeah. And I think, I think like, what's your theory on the guts? Are you waiting for it to like go septic and like have all the stomach acid in there kill the moose or what exactly is your theory on that i'm curious yeah i don't know i think it's probably a little bit i think eventually they'll go into shock you know um and it's you know they're gonna lose some blood and it's just yeah like it's gonna their whole system's gonna go into i don't know septic shock or some kind of some kind of shock bad news like it's going to kill them um and it it just yeah. might it just might take a while. I mean, I had a similar situation with that grizzly I killed with a stone arrowhead. Like I just staring at him for long enough that he I got so worked up that when he like took a step back and rotated, I thought he was more broadside than he was, and I ended up getting like liver and you know liver and guts. And, and by the time we found him the next day. It, but or we waited three hours to go in after him, and he was still very much alive. And then uh, came back the next morning, and it took us a while to find him. And he was all riggered up, you know. So I think he had died, but but it took quite a while for him to die, unfortunately. Yeah, like I said, no one wants to do that. So that's that's kind of the that's why inreaches are good. You know, I'm texting people or. You know, like Schaefer, have a lot of archery kills, and, you know, archery guys don't always make the best shots, and so I'm asking him experience, and so, okay, let's just go back to camp. <laughs> nice way to, sli- nice way to slip and... that in there. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to add jabs or anything, but, like, he's a hell of a shot, yep. but it's like, when it comes to archery, like, there are bad shots. People oh, yeah. people make bad shots, and you gotta, you got to know how to handle it to find the animal, right? And so yep. we're trying to play it smart. Because we can't, at this point, you can't see the moose, and you can't go into the jungle after moose, because then you're going to lose it forever. And you can't track in the in the moose country. You can't like look for guts or blood and all that red brush. So we go back to camp. I sleep like a log. Obviously, she doesn't sleep at all. Go in the next morning. I say, okay, you stay back here with the gun. I'm going to go this way. And if for some reason he's alive, when I bump him, he's going to go this way. And well, kind of like an old school deer drive. And I looked and I looked and I looked right to where he was. Nothing. I found like where he bedded. I found where he went to take a second bed. But I mean, dude, it's moose country, right? And there's yep. moose sign everywhere. So it's like, what do you do? You can only walk in so many circles, so many trails. And I've done like a 200 yard grid of where he was. And he looked really sick and I had no clue. And I'm like, I don't know if we're going to find this freaking thing, dude. Yeah. And so we were, we were literally about to just go start walking in circles in the alders. And, um, I just told Tana, I said, well, and this is a, this is a good part. I will say being a pilot, cause you can't do this with an air service, you know, come help me yeah. find my moose. Right. Yeah. And so we're done hunting at this point. The moose is done. She, she thinks her tags punched. I'm not hunting. And I said, okay, well, and if you fly, you're done hunting for the day anyways, regardless, yeah. Yeah. which is scary for me. Cause we go fly and see this moose, Tyler, and it's still kind of alive, we can't go kill it. Right. So now the moose suffers for another 24 hours, and that's just going to eat me alive. But I'm like, hey, I think it's dead. I don't know where it is. We need to use the airplane before we just start going pounding alders to hopefully put us in the right direction, look for birds, look for a bear or something. And we fly, and I probably did 60 to 70 circles, and I'm pretty good in the airplane, and she starts to get sick. And we go and land. 
she's almost in tears again. I'm like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. Let's go back to camp and just hike back over there, I guess, and start walking. It's, it's going to be in the alders probably. Can't see down in the alders. It's going to be somewhere. And we go, and I swear I did two more circles, and there was a small bull that had walked into a group of trees, and I saw him, and then we came over again, and I saw that same bull, but he was laying on his side like a horse is sleeping, yeah. all stretched out, straight-legged on his side. And I said, wait, what? And she's like, what do you see? And I said, well, it was right where that little bull was in the trees. And she's like, you told me you walked through all the trees. And I said, yeah, but not that tree patch. Like, I was right there, but you can't walk through every tree patch. And she's like, well, fly over it again. We flew over, and there's a pink luminox sticking out of a 65-inch bull moose. And nice. you can imagine what the, cock- what the cockpit of that cub felt like then. And, you know, she's crying tears of happiness then. We see the moose. And we're freaking pumped. I fly over it again, buzz the trees. It doesn't move. It's dead. We go land, and then we're just freaking jacked, right? And I'm mm-hmm. just worried, that, like, how much meat did we lose? It's a huge animal. Today it's warm. It's in the shade. And that moose, unfortunately, suffered quite a while because it wasn't super stiff. And we didn't yeah. lose any meat. The first thing, I, first thing I did is I opened it up, and I just buried my face right into, like, the hip joint, yep. you know, to get as close to, like, the bone sour as I could. And it smelled perfectly fine. I grabbed a whole chunk of meat and, like, shoved it right into my nostrils, and it smelled beautiful. And so I'm super pumped. We got a dead moose. It's literally the ugliest moose I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. But oh. it scores. It's 65. It's got four on one brow, three on the other. Super long paddles, but they're, like, skinny at the bottom, like a baseball bat. And they go up to, like, 24 inches wide each. And it scored, like, 234, 235 and change. And so you can remember when I told you, when she looks at me, she's like, oh, do you want to shoot this bull? My biggest bull is, like, 228, 229. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, bitch, please. I'm not shooting that little thing. And it's a freaking tank. And she sticks it with a bow at, like, 15 yards killer footage, killer story. And it really showcases that, you know, as hunters, we're not perfect. Like mistakes happen and a lot of people would have given up and you just got to keep pushing. And obviously I have an airplane and that helped, but man, it was a lot of highs and lows, which is really tough. But I think that makes you mentally stronger for the next one, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally, man. No, that's, yeah, that's a good story. And I, I won't talk too much about the moose, the the class of moose I shoot. So <laughs> after seeing that, Dude, I, I'm yeah, I'm pretty dumb. I got a lot of buddies like, why would you pass that moose up? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I've passed up little ones walking right next to the airplane before. Um, but I will say, um, it's fun and you can only do it once, right? You can only get one moose tag. And so I want to, I passed up a lot of big bulls this year looking for, just a giant one and i never got one you know yeah. and I'm, I'm willing to do that you know and uh just like you with sheep you could you could roll a sheep every year with a gun um and i want to ask you that but uh when it comes to moose i just really wanted to be particular and stuff and um, i'm i'm okay with waiting i guess yeah man no well and you get you know that's that's something that like you you know you have available to you too is like some you just you know, you got the right tools in the right place, so that's good having that having that kind of patience. Um, and it's just taking the most of that opportunity. That's freaking awesome. If I if I give yeah. you, if I give you shit about it, it's just because I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I'll have to link up sometime. I don't know. I get asked all the time. It's just it's such a such such a precious time in September. It's like, man, I wish it just lasted longer. Oh yeah. You know, but yeah. it seems like we're always so busy. I'd love to go elk hunting, but it's like, man, 
you're going to leave Alaska for moose. And I got to tell you, I'm glad you're turning into more of a moose hunter because I thought you were just one of those prissy, prissy sheep hunters before. And now you're all about the moose, but I lo- I'm looking at your moose camps, dude. And I'm like, dude, I want to kind of go with Tyler because the way you guys do it makes it look nice. I'm basically in a sheep cut, a sheep tent with, with a super cub, right? You can have a few more amenities, like, you know, an extra yeah. bag of food, but you're basically sheep hunting because it's got to be light and tight. Everything's small to go into a cub, and then you're trying to fly a bunch of moose meat out and a bunch of extra fuel. So the camps you and Frank are doing, it's like, dude, that looks like a Hilton compared to what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, no, and it's like, yeah, if you're going to be moose hunting like that, they better they better freaking be big because, holy shit. No, for us, it's like, yeah, yeah move. And it's it's just it's just different, man. Different place, different. And I, I mean, I love doing moose. Yeah, doing moose like that. I think. Yeah, I'm like ah, packing. I, I think I said packing moose is silly, man. Like that shit's for the birds, <laughs> you know. Like, but where we're yeah, like, where where we're definitely. hunting, we go through a lot of effort to get our to get our stuff where we need it to have that kind of experience but man it's fun and it's nice being able to pull a a four-wheeler right up to them and position them just right to work on them and then haul them off you know aside from from moving a quarter from the moose to the tarp and then bagging it and put it dude don't even (laughs) freaking give me that dude you know i'm taking out and so as the pilot, you can imagine how many times I have to touch a piece of meat. Oh, yeah. And so I get pretty, yeah, by the time it gets home, we actually do our own processing. There's no butcher here in King Salmon. Yeah. I'm pretty tired of touching it. You know, I'll help a little bit, but I'm like, dude, I've literally touched every piece in and out. Because for me, I'm like you. I'm done packing moose. And so um, I'm usually able to land pretty close, right? I'll make myself a strip. I need about two to 300 feet and I'll make my, depending on the, what the wind's doing, but I'm coming out with nothing. I'll take four trips to pull all the moose meat out. So I'll take yep. a hind quarter and like half the neck. So that's like, I don't know, less than 200 pounds and zero gas, like five to six gallons of fuel, hardly anything. And then I'll just move it to a bigger spot. Yeah. And then I'll do that four times and in and out of the belly pot in the back seat, tarp, blood everywhere. I'm exhausted and you've already cut up a moose and packed it, but at least that point you're not packing it one to two miles to like a main landing strip area, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's what helps me a lot, you know? And, uh, I just, yeah, it's so difficult packing those things, man. It's crazy. Yeah. No, yeah. No kidding there. One thing I saw you guys, um, was that a, was that like a butcher supply shop in Wasilla? You guys had the, the vac bag funnels for burger because it is i don't know lately i've been i've been pumping all my burger into the plastic like twist tie sacks because i have a shitload of them in a you know in a yep. taper and all that stuff and it like for me lately that's been the quickest way but i do like vac sealing burger like frank turned me on to that where you, you know you you vac seal your burger and then squish it out flat and it packs nice in the freezer and it thaws out. You can thaw it out super quick in the sink too, but you guys had like a funnel, oh, yeah. a funnel, right? So you don't get, you don't get burger all over the bag as you're jamming it in there. Yeah. Um, so we have a, one of those commercial vac sealers, which is hard. It's like buying a Swarrow spot and scope. It's three grand investment, but it's yeah. going to last you a lifetime. And, uh, that thing we go through, you know, maybe over a thousand pounds of meat with fish and moose and caribou. And so that's, uh, my buddy turned me onto that. I was in Sol- I think it's in Soldat. And my buddy sat down there, we were fishing and just, I don't know, killing time, bad weather day. And it's a place called trusty hardware in Soldat. And they're just like a regular hardware store. And they had that. 
and uh, you either you either put a car battery on it or we uh, you can bolt it right to the table. It's like a wing nut, and it's just a little piece of uh, like two inch angle aluminum, and it's got the little tabs. So you can pull it all apart, throw in the dishwasher. And, you know, I got six kids, so we just have an assembly line, and I just give them all a sucker to keep them motivated. And, uh, you know, a little dum-dum pop or whatever, and everyone's got a sucker in their mouth. We just go down the line, and uh, that way you can put, you know, get whatever size bowl you want for your family, fill it up with burger, dump it right into the funnel, and then one kid takes their fist and mashes it down, and it fills up the bag. But you leave that seal of that bag perfectly clean because that's what makes your bags not last. Yeah. Pop and get all freezer burnt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, that looked yeah. like a that looked like a, a pretty slick way to do it, and and yeah, yeah. That's all about like it's little little time saving things. Is your is your vac sealer like the commercial one? Is it one of those chamber ones that the uh, the bags like all go oh, yeah. inside it? Oh yeah, those are nice. We uh, yeah, <laughs> one time we uh, did vac sealed a squirrel <laughs> that we had shot like that, what? and you know how it it it, it does like. It, you know, is, is it's going through the process and the vac bags are like inside the chamber. And so they like, they blow, yeah. they blow way up and then they like, and it sucks them way down. The squirrel was like blowing up like a balloon. And then an entire squirrel. Yeah. And, and sucked. And, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it was pretty entertaining at the time. I know the, like the effect of that doesn't, doesn't, convey over no. this, pl- this platform quite as right well now. but uh you could you like having one of those vac sealers you could imagine how that would look and uh yeah so that was that <laughs> no it's uh no they, they've been great it's been great had a great moose season we're pretty much done we just went to kodiak i won't get into that i mean kodiak's fun you've been there a lot i i thought i was just gonna love it and go every every year but i was like eh I, I like sheep hunting better than goats. I feel like when you walk up to a goat, you're like, I hiked my fat ass all the way up here, almost died seven times for that little thing. Like, <laughs> ugh, you know, and yeah. uh, deer hunting was fun. The deer, I'm getting already mounted. I, I shot a nutless deer. That was kind of cool. Oh, nice. Um, one of those cactus bucks. But yeah, I shot five goats, four deer, and three fox and Kodiak. And um it was it was legit. So we had a yeah. bunch of stuff. It was like your moose. Camp. It was like your moose camp. We had five people, and we took in two beavers and a two hundred six. We had a couple of zodiacs, and that put us overweight a lot. You know, so yeah, it's been a good year, man. And just looking forward to getting some traps out and hopefully getting some snow. It's wicked cold, but I want to fly on skis all winter and just have a party. Yeah, get some wolverines. Yeah, you look like you didn't look like you were having fun at all. Wolverine trapping last year. Dude, my goal was to get one, and I got a bunch. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to nominate myself for Rookie of the Year Wolverine Trapper. But let's face it, like, um, I I mean, before I moved to Alaska, I was talking to you, I think, on Facebook about trapping wolves. I still have not trapped a wolf, and they're just so smart, you know. And so I'd love to trap a wolf this year, but wolverines are pretty stupid, you know. Yeah. Like, you put a 330 put a 330 in front of them and some beaver it's like okay they're gonna make they're gonna go yeah now there's a couple ones that get smart you know but um you get a good catch around the neck of a 330 and uh they're pretty much done they're toast yeah no i think the i mean the biggest i think the biggest challenge for trapping wolverines is just getting your shit in a spot there wolverine's gonna smell it you know yeah, and that's that's what sets me apart. And like I said, I'm smart. All the all the old timers and you and I have talked about this. You want to make a million bucks 
trapped with the Super Cup, just start with two million. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you you're know, lose happier. It's, it's hard because you need good weather to run your line. If you got a line with a snow machine, you know, and just rip out there, and if it's snowing, you can go. But if it's snowing and flat light with an airplane or icing up, you can't make it. You yeah. know, so um, that makes it tough. But I've just I've flown around enough. And I've seen Wolverine tracks are pretty distinctive. I've seen enough sign. It's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put a set right there on those two creeks where they come together. And, you know, the Creek is going to be a water source where the food is. And that's where the animals are running wolves, Wolverine, everything, Martin. So, you know, you put, you put it there and it's just, it's a matter of time when the one's going to walk by your set and, you know, take its face into a three thirty, And then after that, it's just, you just got to hold them, you know? Yep. Yeah, and those yeah those three thirties like I don't think there's a better Wolverine trap than that. I mean, it's, you know, because it'll kill them, and you know, yeah, most of the in most of the time it, it will kill them. You may have one I don't know that gets gets away every now and then, but they just seems seems like the things with Wolverines they just they never quit fighting a trap. Um, you know, if you get them in a foothold, oh, no, if, if you get them in a foothold or something, they just won't stop. So. Yeah, yeah, so a three thirty, like a, a body grip trap that kills them, is is definitely the way to go. Yeah, and a, a lot of the Wolverine I catch their their teeth are wrapped around, frozen to the jaws, and so a lot of times if it's warm, I can get the trap off, but I'll, I'll a lot of times just bring the whole thing into the super cub, which is yep. a big Wolverine, thirty five pounds, and you know and yeah. the claws will just shred a super cub engine blanket, so it's kind of a hassle with the trap and everything on them. But uh, their teeth are literally frozen around the jaws because they, they fight to the death and they're literally trying to chew through, like, what is it, 3 sixteenths metal yep. steel yep. on a trap. And they, they think they're going to do it. And uh, they're just super tough. I've lost a few, I think, that don't fully commit. And you kind of get them on the crown of the head and they pull yep. out. Um, but that was, a, that was a thing for me. If I'm traveling with an airplane, I can't guarantee I'm going to be able to check every week like I would like. And if one weekend has bad weather and I'm working a full-time job and have kids and I can't make it, well, I don't want an animal suffering for a potential two-week time frame out there. Um, and I want I want a trap that's going to kill them. So that's why I use 330s, and they work, dude, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely definitely the way to go. I yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get any steel out this year. It's uh, I don't know since I since I had kids. Um, we got more into ice fishing the past couple of years, but that's all right too, man. There's always, there's always something fun to do, but I, I like trapping. I, I, I don't miss, I don't miss skinning, you know, 50 to 70 wolves a year and 20, 30 wolverines oh, and all that stuff. Not that I wasn't catching all, I wasn't catching all that shit, but skinning for the fur buyer. I mean, sometimes I get, I get a little nostalgic and miss having that stuff hanging around but it's also it's also a pain in the ass too dude it's yeah i want i want you to not do any wolves for five years and then me to get a bunch more you kill quite a few and me have five more years of practice then we can have a skin off when you're going to be super rusty and i'll be yeah. all tuned up but <laughs> you've definitely helped me on a lot of a lot of ins and outs of stuff you know but i've like it was basically eight hours for me to fully put up a wolf and people are like, what do you mean? It's a full work day. I'm like, by the time you put a knife to something and when I started skin it out, turn, I mean, full taxidermy prep. Yep. And then talking by the time it's done on the board and you comb it out and then I'll leave it on the board till I need the board again. It's like, that's an eight. I got it down to like five hours probably, but it's a lot of commitment for a wolf. And so I found a tannery, um, that will do, if I have bulk wolves, 
that I think I can uh, basically skin them out, leave the maybe even leave the feet in and just pull the skull out, green skin them, and send them to that tannery and get them to do them. And so, like, just turn them on a wheel to flush them and pull the feet out. But I can pull the feet out pretty quick. You know, I, you helped me that with the big old shark hook or halibut yeah, hook, you know. Yeah. And I uh, I got it down where I, where I could do it like one country song. Like four to five minutes, I could do a foot pretty quick, nice. you know. Yeah, I think the quickest like so, I think the quickest I could ever do them was about eh, about three minutes or so, and that's like that's that's fast. That's fast. Um, but no, I, I mean, from hanging on the carcass to on the board, I, you know, like if you're five hours or a little bit less than that, man, you're you're cooking like that's that's doing good. You know, someone that's a novice like your first. You know, even if you're you're used to skinning coyotes or something like that, your first wolf like scun, everything turned, fleshed, and put up. You know, you're talking like eight to ten hours is not unrealistic. Like that's pretty normal. Nope, I did that. I shot a huge one. It was 120 pounds. It's a monster, and uh, I did that. And I didn't really even look. At, I was pretty dumb. I didn't really even look at the hair that much. It smelled. I'm like, oh, it's just kind of weird. It must have like rolled in something or yeah. I don't know. And I did the full taxidermy prep. I just wanted to like go slow. It was a huge wolf. It was going to be a great full body mounter to sell to someone. And then I got it on the board and like brushed it out when you turn it, like the whole nostalgia yeah. thing. When you finally turn, when you finally turn the fur and it's hair out, you feel like this gratitude, like, okay, all that shit was worth it. You yeah, know, that's yeah. pretty cool. So look at this and you, you feel like you're one of the old timers. And then I get the brush out. And I'm like, this looks weird. And I start sending a picture. And I think I sent you one and had that, follicle hair dysplasia where like the basically the hair follicles were rotten yeah it had no guard hairs and it was super gross looking yeah and i was like i was kicking myself i'm like i literally just took eight to ten hours on this wolf i didn't put one cut in it i didn't do anything wrong fleshing it i got everything good all the feet out didn't put one single hole in the whole wolf and it's literally garbage i can't do anything with it the whole wolf yep so it was it was good practice i didn't beat myself up too much about it but yeah, it was it was pretty shitty. Yeah, I think it's frustrating, man. And sometimes, like it, yeah, uh, it, it seems like it seemed like to me it was always weird, like cool color phase wolves. You know, it was like odd, like blue. I don't know how many blue wolves I handled before I got one that had nothing wrong with it. You know, there was always yeah. oh, the guy like you know, because and I and I also dealt with a lot of wolves that were like just peeled off the carcass. Cause we would tell guys like, if you don't know on the bush, like if you don't know how to, how to skin the feet and turn everything, just leave the head and the feet in it, get it off the carcass, freeze it and send it in, to, you know, throw it on the airplane into town. And, you know, and that worked pretty good, but it's like, you know, you'd have, well, I remember one that was just a beautiful blue and, it came in with a gray and there was nothing wrong with the gray wolf. The blue wolf was just slipping all over the place. Like it had been set next to a wood stove or something, you know, all the, everything, everything like the feet and the head that had bone in it still. And had obviously like remained frozen enough to, and we got it froze. So at some point it had like been scun and froze and thawed out and froze. Uh, You know, I don't know what happened to it, but you know, you can start picking out like where something's where something's not right, but uh, yeah, that thing, 
you know, for a wall hanger, it still would look good, but the potential of like, oh man, to get a, a, a blue wolf that's a blue color phase that has nothing wrong with it, has good hair length and all that stuff, man, it's like, yeah, like almost like one in a million, it seems like. Over the years, like I, I did run into a few of them that were really, really nice, but it seemed like there was always something wrong with them. And then you get some, some ratty ass gray that, you know, is, is basically has nothing wrong with it, but it's just not as nice of a wolf. Yep, I know. Were you doing that for money, or were you trading that for taxidermy work? That stuff I was doing for money. Um, it was for uh, uh, Bill Wyvoda owns Arctic Raw Fur here in town, um, and I yeah I I had you know different fees for different animals and wolves especially were never they were never really you couldn't you just can't make what that what that labor is worth or what i feel that labor's worth um it takes a long time to get really good at it and still like you know if you're, you're charging like 100 to, or maybe 120 bucks you know for for that amount of effort is not very much money but you know guys don't want to you know you guys don't want to pay any more than that you get a gray wolf that's maybe if you put it up yourself is worth, you know, at the time, like 250 to $350 maybe. And you're talking about like paying a hundred more than 120 bucks to have it put up. It doesn't make sense to guys until usually until they try to do it themselves. Um, and then they kind of get it. But, yeah. Yeah. I'd pay one, I'd pay one twenty to put up all mine. If I could, there's just no one down here to do yeah. it, you know? So yeah, no, it, it makes it, it makes it tough. Yeah, and it, yeah, it just it's a time suck, and then you got to babysit them. You know, as you're, it's not it's not like once you're done skinning them and you put them on the board, you're you're done. You know, it takes another hour the next day or twenty four hours later, whatever your like shop conditions um, dictate when you turn them. Oh, you know, I know. You yeah, got to you got to screw that up, and you can't turn it. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think I told you last year I had one that I, you know, I I skin them out, leave the I just pull. Just like you said, I pull a skull out there, but I leave the feet in. I throw them in a contractor bag. I put them in the freezer, you know, yep. and because uh, I, I might need to check traps the next day or go hunting or whatever or spend time with my kids. And that, that allows me when it's bad weather, or even in the April, to finish putting the wolf up. Yep. And then I pulled one out in a garbage bag. And instead of, like, hanging it up, now I now I leave, like, when I roll it up, I leave one back foot yep. out, like, top of the bag, like you told me. So then you can just hang, hook that with paracord put a fan on it and just put it in your shop 50 degrees. I go to bed next morning, the whole thing unrolled itself yep. and it's got a fan on it and there's no way for it to slip. But I had left one on the floor of the garage and then it thawed out and then I put it in the fridge and I never it just basically condensated in that bag, got the whole freaking wolf put up and then I grabbed a handful of hair on the back when I went to comb it and it just all came out. So, yeah. Garbage. Yeah. You know? And it's, you know, sometimes there's, there's only, you know, you got to learn a couple of those lessons the hard way and like flesh, you know, learning to flesh stuff. I mean, you want to get good at flesh and stuff, you're going to knock a shitload of holes in, in hides over the year, you know, and you still, you still make mistakes and whatnot, but it just takes, like, there's only one way to learn it. You can't be just told how to, you know, you got to, you know, take, you know, take the advice that you can get from people and, and put it to use and, and kind of learn for yourself, but Honestly, like oh, I, yeah. I like doing, I can, you know, people, it doesn't make sense, but I think, I think putting up, putting up wolves and wolverines are probably like, 
as far as the amount of time and work involved for what you're getting. I mean, that's the hardest stuff. Like I'd rather deal with black bears all day long, like just salt dried black bears all day long than putting up wolves. I mean, not, I, I, I put up hundred hundreds of wolves, but, um, you know, I can do bear bears are bears are easy. You know, it just, it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. I still have the fleshing down. I, I might build a PVC beam and get with you for some pictures and dimensions this year because I just have a, one of those ones that flip down, you know, and it's pretty yeah. solid. It bolts the wall and flips down. But I want to build something more sturdy with, like, 4 by 4s or 6 by 6s and, you know, so really go to town on it. But I I just – I've never been good on the whole cutting side of the flush. So usually I just try and push that saddle off them, you yeah. know, and then yeah. – uh, you know, salt the feet and salt the ears and stuff. You don't really need to salt the body. It doesn't even really stick to a wolf. But yeah. uh, then uh, I bought what, a guy named, I think, like Lee Steinmeier, a really good flushing knife that everyone recommended off trapping forums and stuff. So I'm going to try that. He has a really good knife he sent me, and uh, I'm going to try that this year. And, yeah, I, I don't know, dude. Wolves and Wolverine both suck. I might rather pick Wolverines. But they're they're hard because when you do a foot, it's like a miniature wolf, but it's got an extra toe. Yep. And there, it's just harder because it's smaller. Uh, well, you know? well, and and like the connective tissue on a wolverine, everything like you got to cut every freaking scrap of hide off a wolverine, and their toes. No, like as far as skinning feet, a wolverine's the toughest. As far as anything I've done, I mean, I've turned like beaver feet and otter feet, um stuff like that yeah. a wolver a wolverine is definitely in my opinion is definitely the toughest you know if you can get good at good at skin and wolverine feet man you skin anything um but oh it, yeah it, i've gotten good you know and it you know wolves and wolverine like wolverines seems like they always have a good fat layer and like i use like the sharp side of a flesh and knife to shave it off um, on a beam, a wolf, like there's just a lot of variability, variability in wolves too. Some of them have like a real thin layer of fat that you want to scrape off. Some of them just have that saddle and not a lot of fat on them. Um, every single one's different. Some of them go pretty easy and some of them are a royal pain in the ass. You know, you just feel like you're, you're scraping them and turning them for, you know, and spinning around on the flesh and beam for hours. It seems like sometimes, but, uh, you know, I make stuff like fox and cats and stuff like that, you know, where you could just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and you're done. But uh, it'll definitely, yeah, there's some <laughs> there's some sweat equity involved in those things, man, dealing with that shit. Oh, dude. Yeah, I, I sweat my balls off getting after it on the beam and stuff like yeah. that. And you're, you're cussing at it and you're trying to resharpen knives and it's just not working. But, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, it all it all kind of makes makes it worth it when you flip and you get a really nice like amber color wolverine you yep. flip it and you brush it out you're like yeah you you feel like one of the pioneers like you know guys that were up here 50 60 70 years ago trapping you feel kind of like a badass mountain man in today's modern world you know you're still able to do that and different things you know yeah well and one thing like I was going to say you mentioned salt and I I got away like I, I try messed with it a little bit. I would steer away if you're air if you're stretcher drying them. I would not use any salt at all. Um, and what I what I got to doing on the ears, I would get this, and I don't know if you probably order it out there. It's like Glenn Conley's Stop Rot. It's like a clear liquid that you can get in a spray bottle, and pretty much every just as cheap insurance. Pretty much every wolf I do, I would, I would 
put that when I put got them on the stretcher inside out, I'd I'd spray and rub that stuff on the ears, around the eyes, and on the feet. And what I do is I'd stuff all the feet with uh, like paper towels or newspapers ins- when they're inside out. And I let those things dry. It, it it just takes like getting a feel for it, but I let them dry till like the till the whole hide is almost too dry to turn. But I can still I can still get it turned. And then what I would do is I would uh, I'd wrap the uh, I'd wrap the ears and the feet with wet paper towels for like 15, 20 minutes, whatever. And it lets them absorb just enough moisture so that you can like, they can become pliable again. And you got to work them, which is why it's a it's a huge pain in the ass. Like, you know, you got to work them and work them and slowly work them and like turn them back right side out. But when you do it that way, you can get them somewhat pliable again, pliable enough to turn in the ears as well. But when you, you turn them right side out, you can pop them open. They'll hold their shape and they won't collapse back on themselves. Cause I've, I mean, I've run into issues, you know, if they're too wet, once you turn them, they collapse back in on themselves and you get, you can get slip spots there. If there's a little bit of moisture, uh, when I've in the past, the times I've tried, I've actually put salt on them. When you do flip them, it just sucks moisture into those and they get wet again. You may, they may or may not slip. They may or may not slip, but they never like really dry out. Yeah, I don't know. I use your uh, I use your technique of the paper towels and the feet, but it's a pain in the ass, and you're making like new customers if you wait too long, or you have your thermostat in your shop. Oh yeah, set up too warm, you know. So I might try that with a spray bottle. But yeah, I'm, I just I result to salt because I really suck at flushing. Yeah. And I'm scared to put a bunch of big holes like in the face, you know, and stuff. Yeah. So I'll salt the face and the feet and the ears. But the only issue I really had, I mean, I'll talk to you more about that, but I got into using borax, you know, because it's a yeah, finer powder. Yeah. Yeah. And I borax some I borax some of the ears. Um, but I was I don't know what I was thinking on what. I just I I didn't turn the ears all the way. I was like, Oh, I'll just borax it and it'll be fine. Cause the year before, like I had on coyotes, I didn't do anything. I just salted the ears. And so I treated the borax like salt on the wolves and I didn't turn anything. And this thing, and I had been turning all the other wolves. I was just, didn't do this one for some reason. I was in a hurry. And then I went back out and the lips were slipping or just rotten. And the ears, the inside of the ear was starting to slip. And so then I guess what, then I had to do it but it was like gangrene and black mold and just the yeah. nasty, nasty. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up having to turn everything anyways, you know? Yeah. You know, like, you know, coyotes and fox, a lot of times you can get away with that. Sometimes they'll slip at the tannery, but you know, if you're putting it up for the fur market, it's not as big a deal anyway. But, um, yeah, you can't get away with that shit with wolves, man. Lips. Um, I would always, I can't, I'm sure I told you at one point, but I would always split the nose cartilage. Um, like I do the same thing with a bear is how I was taught to do it. You know, from the inside, you kind of trim the nose cartilage down and then split it right down the middle between the nostrils and it separates it out. And then you can trim, there's a little bit of fat in there that you can trim off and you just like skin out those nostrils, not completely, but as far as you can get them reasonably. And on a wolf that also helps it, um, it, it sets on the stretcher better and it helps the face dry out. Otherwise you end up, you know, with the entire skin dry and the nose is still freaking wet. So you pop it off the stretcher and hang it on a nail and you get like an elongated, elongated nose. And on bears, um, if you don't split that nose, a lot of times you get skin slippage 
even after salting yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to have you text me a video or explain that more when I'm doing that because I know you do it on bears and the dude that I was talking to at Anchorage, he yeah, he turns like turns the nostrils all the way inside out like on a bear. Yeah, so I need to get better at that. But I'm sure I'll screw up a few more things this year. But just like life and experience, you know, you don't gain experience and wisdom from not screwing up, and so eventually I'll hopefully have less screw-ups but yeah it's it's the way you learn oh yeah yeah that's the truth man and you know it's and no matter where anybody's at or in just about any of this shit you know whether it's working on working on critters or hunting you know you know you just try to like at least i i feel like i always try to have one eye open for like learning a new technique for doing this or that or making it making stuff more efficient in one way or another and you know there i mean there's always stuff to learn and that's kind of kind of what keeps it interesting i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to just be a no or i wouldn't want to actually be a no at all (laughs) no it's a it's good trapping's fun it's super time consuming and you know it's a money losing project and stuff and but it, it keeps me busy you know i could be in the bar all winter like everyone else and doing nothing i feel like i'm productive and it's a full-time job yeah. putting up fur once you actually do catch it but it's really rewarding and i just tell my wife i'm like hey i could be a drug addict yeah you know? well i imagine you know, i could i could be into could be into coke and hookers yeah. but here i am into wolves and wolverine yeah i mean i imagine the bar the bar in king salmon's pretty lonely place <laughs> i mean you just get the same locals going yeah. there i mean yeah, yeah i used to, i don't drink anymore i used to a lot i'm just like man it sure is a good way to waste a perfectly good opportunity because the winters are some of my favorite times. Just I like I like the snow because the snow tells a story. And so yeah. when you're flying around, you you can tell what happened. And especially if there's a fresh snow and you follow wolf tracks, you find moose kills. I try and set up snares, but I still haven't caught any. You know, yeah. And uh, you you can see the wolverine and how he came in to work your set, and it's just it's really cool. And you know what they say about trappers, it's going to make you 10 times the better hunter just because you're reading sign. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun, man. And I, you know, and eventually I'll, I'll get back into it, but it's, it's, uh, I, I always love trapping, man. Trapping so much fun. And yeah, I mean, anything up to. here. Don't you have like a number nine on your arm as a tattoo, bro? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't quit. No, I can't quit. They're yeah, they're hanging, they're waiting still. It'll uh yeah, we'll give especially as my my oldest boy gets a little older and 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 wants to get get out doing that stuff, it'll be it'll be a good thing to get back into. But uh yeah, it's yeah, trapping's trapping's fun. Oh, the other thing I was gonna tell you I just remembered, um you may already do this, maybe I told you, but um, I do it with pretty much everything, um, but especially wolverines. You can once you flip them and they're fur side out, you you brush them out real nice, and then you take that stretcher and you knock the shit out of it, like bang them on the nose on something hard, and it pops their hair out, and then their hair will drip. Yeah, you take it and you know I'll take them like belly side down, and usually I mean this my. I use cat stretchers for wolverines, so they're like six feet long. But I'll take it and I'll I'll belly down, I'll bang the the end of the stretcher, you know, with their nose on it on the table. Then I'll flip it over, you know, with the backside down and bang it on the table, and all that it it pops the hair out, 
And then Wolverines, if I have a spot to hang them, I'll, I'll hang the stretcher upside down. I'll tack the tail out, but I'll hang the stretcher upside down for them to dry, like dry. And the hair will like set standing up on end and like it puffs them out, makes them look really good. Cats look really good. Like, I mean, almost everything, everything, Martin, you know, bang Martin boards and let them dry upside down. I don't let wolves dry upside down, but I do once I comb them out and brush them out, you know, knocking them will will kind of like let the it'll puff the hair out it'll stand up like that and uh. and i use i think it 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 you know after you handle them a bunch maybe maybe you can't tell the difference but um as far as like on the stretcher and right after you pull them the stretcher and have them hanging there like it's like a very presentation wise it makes them look really sharp i'll try that yeah i never heard that before yeah, you know, like a good uh, Martin on a good on a good like three quarter inch thick or you know even almost one inch thick Martin board. You know, you do that. It really like makes their makes the fur around their belly pop and makes them look like a lot a lot. Yeah, doesn't make them look bigger than they are, but it really like makes the most of them. And that's that's kind of the whole deal with trapping and putting up fur is to like to make the most out of what that hide potential is if that makes sense oh yeah i just uh i got my stuff back from the tannery and i sent it to temple i'm having to make a a set of beaver and wolf gauntlets and then a wolf and like wolf on the front of the face going to the top of the head and then wolverines on the side so it's going to be like symmetrical diamonds on the side and nice it's going to be badass nice super pumped to get it Heck yeah. yeah, man. No, I'll have to, yeah, have Temple show me that or show me a picture of that, or you can show me a picture of that when he's done. He does a nice job on that stuff, so. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It should be good for the winter. I don't, and it's just be cool to have. I didn't want to do it myself because I want it to be professionally done, but I wanted my own fur, and so that's going to be, you know, sentimental and be catching Wolverine wearing a Wolverine hat. It'd be pretty sweet. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Well, hey, dude, I got to get to bed here, but, uh, um, it's been, it's been free- good catching yeah, up. Yeah, great catching up, man. It's it's fun to hear hear your stories, and uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do it again here before too long. I don't know the next time I'll make it out. I'm sure next time I do make it out to King Sam, and I'll be I'll be be giving you a shout. But uh, yeah, gl- glad yeah, to you hear. Better come say hi. Yeah, g- glad to hear. You know, hear all the good stuff you got into this year, and I always follow along what you guys are doing. It'll be cool uh, cool seeing some of the trapping stuff this winter. So. Yeah. yeah, one of these days we'll have to do a hunt. I know we keep talking about it, but one of these days we'll actually have to make it happen. Yeah, we definitely will, man. I'm I'm overdue to come out to get my my next. Uh, it's been almost yeah. This spring will be ten years since I got a brown bear out there, so I need to. Oh, I need dude, to, what are you doing? Come on. I like shoot. I like shooting these grizzly bears around here too, man. It's just uh, it's hard. But, yeah, well, can't can't you shoot one here and then go whack one at home? No, not where I'm at. Not where I'm at. It's only one. It should be. Oh, I mean, I, I would. It wouldn't hurt my feelings to have the limit be two or three, you know, and help the moose yeah. out. But whatever, you can't have everything, I guess. <laughs> no, I get it. Well, yeah, dude. Take care and thanks for having me on. All right, yeah, no problem, man. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoy Tundra Talk, I appreciate it if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. And if you have any comments or questions, you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com. Thanks.